You're listening to Arc Radio Podcast. Welcome to Sakina Society. Towards tranquility in an age of turbulence. Assalamu alaikum, welcome to Sakina Society. My name's Zenit, and today we're discussing Muslims in prison. So the layout of the show is, as always, a discussion about the main challenges in our society and what is the ideal situation and how we can get there. So to give everyone a background, um, there's a disproportionate number of Scottish Muslims in Scottish prisons. And as of 2011, Muslims make up 1.2% of the Scottish population, but 2.5% of the prison population, according to a recent parliamentary briefing paper. No other religious group is overrepresented in prisons in Scotland. And it's increasing. So it does beg the question, what's happening here and how can we close the gap? To discuss this issue, we have with us Dr. Abdul Medin Kithkart, who's a Muslim chaplain and works in prisons, in Scottish prisons. And Adil Ibrahim, who has worked with the youth in Pollock Shields for a number of years. Thank you both for coming on to the show. So, Abdul Medin, can you start by introducing what you do and also just shed some light on Muslims in prisons? Who are they? What are the Muslims commonly involved in that they end up in prison? Assalamu alaikum. The prison work is something that uh, over the last five years has really developed for Muslims. Um, you mentioned the title Muslim chaplain, but when I was given this job, I gave the badge back and asked for them just to call it chaplain because an important part of chaplaincy is caring for prisoners of all faith and of no faith and a large proportion are people of no faith. Specifically for the Muslims, I yesterday was in and uh, took some information from the database which confirms the statistics you said within Scotland that we're 2.5% of the prison population. There have been times in some of the prisons in Scotland where I have been uh, witnessing 10% of the prison being Muslims. Um, wow. How that happens, there's no research. Mm -hmm. We don't have any statistics. We don't have any real answers for it, but the figures really do stand out. Uh, on the whole, on the average, uh, throughout Scotland, yeah, we're, we're about double the number of Muslims in the prison population than we are in the general population. Mm -hmm. One quick answer of that is when we look at the number of female prisoners in Scotland, there's 400 female prisoners in Scotland, two are Muslim. One of them is white Scottish. So 50% of Muslim females in prison are white Scottish. Oh, I never expected that. The total number of male prisoners in Scotland prison service is 7,000, and the number of Muslims is 200. So that gives you to that 2.5%. But the interesting figure is 140 of that 200 are British nationality and 60 are foreign national. So these figures are slightly skewed by the fact that we have foreign nationals coming into the country and a large number of migrants coming into this country are from Muslim countries. Mm -hmm. And when they don't get the support and they come with other intentions in this country, uh, they often come in illegally, so they are detained in custody rather than in detention centres. Because they entered illegally, they are given a four-month sentence, they mm. serve two months, and then they are sent back home again. They're deported. So the number there, as I said, there's uh, 60 of foreign nationals, 
the majority, if not all of them, will be repatriated back to their own country after finishing the sentence. Mm -hmm. If they accept an early release, they will be returned to their own country early. So okay. we have then 140 British Muslims who are currently in prison. Of those, if we divide them up by ethnicity, 70 of that 140, sorry, of the, of the full 200 are Asian and 70 are white Scottish. So again, 50% of the Muslims in Scottish prison service are white Scottish. We hear that Islam is the fastest growing religion. We don't see that in the communities when you come to the masjids on the shows or anyone who goes to the masjids, you will mm -hmm. not see that large proportion of the non-ethnic or the local Scottish Muslims. But in prison, there's a very large number of Scottish prisoners who are serving life sentences who embrace Islam. SubhanAllah. This is something that we need um, more research on to as to why is it that these lifer Scottish prisoners are mm -hmm. turning to Islam. And we look back through Sirat and the Sunnah, this has always been the case. It's not the politicians and the professionals who mm -hmm. come into the deen at the start. It is the people who are already uh, unsupported on the outskirts of society, criminals, uh, thieves of the poor. Um, mm -hmm. They are the ones who come to deen. Um, what Muslims are commonly involved in in the prison, your other question, is the same as every other community, major mm -hmm. and minor sins. Uh, there isn't a category of crime that is specifically um, high within the Muslim communities, uh, not that we actually have any figures on. There are, from the range of your low drug crimes right up to rape and murder, uh, mm -hmm. religious leaders um, not being PVG'd and working in religious institutions has allowed the same problem within other faith institutions where the children are meant to be entrusted but they end up being abused. And Scottish Prison Service unfortunately houses teachers from Muslim communities who unfortunately have been interfering mm -hmm. with the children and there was no protection system to prevent these things from happening. The most common, though, I would say, without giving the statistics to back this up, my experience is that what we would call fraud or white-collar crime mm -hmm. is very common. What seems to be to the criminal an innocent crime, there is no victim. Victimless crime is the term. It's almost slightly more ethical amongst the criminals uh, to, to do a crime that is fraud, taking from benefits. Uh, okay. The... Mm -hmm. One of perhaps uh, reasons for this, we were talking off air earlier just about the number of youngsters who's uh, from business families who mm -hmm. get involved in crime and the reasons for that. One of the missed points is that if the shop or the restaurant and the father sells alcohol, then that has been justified to that child in some way that certain crimes are justifiable and other ones you stay away from. Yep. And these children grow up with this moral message from their own family mm -hmm. that there are certain crimes that are okay. And within the masjids and within our communities, there is no shortage of people who know of people who, uh, even in the front stuff, may be taking benefits when they shouldn't be taking mm -hmm. benefits. This is crime. 
And if it's justified, not paying taxes because it's the Kufar government who are going to send bombs to Muslim countries, mm -hmm. this justification of not paying our inland revenue dues, this justification of hiding the money, uh, unfortunately, this leads to the youth thinking that we can justify some of our crimes as well. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, uh, but sometimes if the, the victim of the crime is not from our own community, yeah. if the victims are the, the gori, or the non-Muslim, <laughs> as many of the criminals themselves will refer to, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then it's justified. Like the shop, selling alcohol, pornography, tobacco. Oh, it's them. It's for them. It's not our people. Yeah. And that justifies, and that sends a very strong message, unfortunately, to the youth. So, so what you're saying is um, a, lot of, a lot of the preventative measures start from home and what children grow up seeing. Yeah, um, yeah. the statistics are showing, uh, as I said, that it's all crimes, though, throughout the board. Uh, there is no one particular one. The media may want to say that uh, the Asian communities or the Muslims are particularly uh, focusing on uh, grooming and sex crimes. The statistics blow that out of the water. It's equal amongst all communities, unfortunately. All communities have problems. Mm -hmm. And yes, the solution to many of these problems lies within the communities. Jazakallah, that was very insightful. Um, and all the research you've done, that was very eye-opening. Um, and Adil, what about your experience? What were the common problems you faced when you worked with the youth? Uh, what experiences were they going through? Um, I've been involved with uh, youth work for now nearly um, probably on and off I've volunteered, paid for the last sort of 20 years and from from what I've seen from whether it's um, uh, one side of uh, Glasgow to the other side and even different cities uh, in, in Scotland um that young people, uh, you can kind of generally, I'm, I'm, and again, I'm generalising here, uh, you put them in two different groups, uh, something that Abdul Mateen mentioned about. Um, you've got young people that come from uh, well-off uh, mm -hmm. families um, or families that can support them financially. Uh, we're not talking about emotionally. I was talking about financially. They could be they're supported, mm -hmm. uh, and then there's a group of young people that have not got that uh, financial support consistently, or um, uh, you know, as much as the, the other group. Mm -hmm. So, and both are put into the same classroom, put in the same youth group, put in the same streets, put in the same area, um, and obviously each have their expectations. And what happens is that you've got a group of young people who look up to, uh, one person looks up to another and wants what the other one's got mm -hmm. uh, and thinks, how do I get that? How do I achieve this? Now, obviously this, what Abdul Mati said, comes down to parenting as well. Um, if the parents have put in the time and effort to explain um, mm -hmm. the realities of life um, and about hard work and effort, um, then, uh, you know, the the child won't be looking towards their peer groups for that sort of ad, uh, advice, life advice. You, you won't be really asking for life advice from somebody your own age, generally. Uh, you'll always be asking for somebody older. Yeah. Um, and what happens is this other, these other group of young people who might be sons of shopkeepers or businessmen, um, you know, uh, they're, they're asked, oh, how did you become like this? Or how could you afford this? Or how did you get this? And they're like, oh, this is how to achieve this. Mm -hmm. And they'll lead them down that path. 
uh, and a lot of young people then caught, get caught up in that. So what happens is that if both end up in prison, uh, both have, they say, even they're there for the same amount of time, but when they come out, it's a different experience because one is getting backed up or even while they're in prison by their parents and don't worry, but they're, it's all right, we'll mm -hmm. call you back and they're covered. Whereas the other one, he comes back, he's got nothing to fall back on. Mm -hmm. And then reality kicks in. Uh, and this is where the young people get caught into this trap. Um, the other thing is that um, uh, touched upon different Muslim communities. When I was in, involved in the prison work in Pullman um, many years ago, we started to see a lot of uh, young people coming from different different ethnic groups, Muslim mm -hmm. ethnic groups, so for example, Somalian, uh, Kurdish. Uh, and that's the other thing is that we, um, if you look at our mosques, uh, we are still way behind in um, allowing uh, these different communities to be involved in, within the mosque, within the community. Uh, it's still a very separate. And people who come to Islam, um, reverts, converts, um, you know, again, not involved. Uh, and forget about even high level, but basic level. Um, so when they're not involved, you don't know, you've not got that engagement with the community. Uh, and this is where we have the issue where young people were ended up in prison. And we, first, you didn't even know where they came from. Uh, and we've not got that engagement with these different communities. So quite, quite disjointed. Yeah. Um, and also, the other thing is that we have um, very few organised um preventative uh, uh, measures uh, or, or, or establishments that are dealing uh, with young people, you know, uh, as a preventative and also to, uh, Abdul Mati, we were mentioning off is about when it comes back to reoffending, mm -hmm. um, you know, the post-prison uh, work, uh, I would say is probably in some areas non-existent to very, very poor um, so these are these are some of the issues that you mm -hmm. know that I experienced myself and others have experienced uh, in, in working with the youth. Okay. Very poor within our own communities. Mm -hmm. The support is out there. The problem yeah. is that as a Muslim community or the Muslim communities, the disjointed communities, we are not encouraging our members of community to get involved in the already existing pathways and careways and through care. Mm -hmm. For example. Mm -hmm. No one likes to admit it if their child has an alcohol or a drug issue. Yeah. And they don't like the idea of supporting Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous. So when our youth get into these problems, we tell them, don't go to the Gori, don't go to the non-Muslims, come to us. But mm -hmm. none of us are skilled, none of us are trained, none of us are involved, and we want to reinvent the wheel each time. So we apply yeah. for grants so that we can do a Muslim version of all of these things. And it never gets off the ground mm -hmm. because it's already established already existing yep, there's good support there we need to get our communities much more into this into these the, the support as you're going to say is you know are we lacking in regards to the support for prisoners mm -hmm. no the prison the sps is outstanding with regards to the support that it provides prisoners prisoners okay. choose to or decline the opportunity but they have access in custody to Friday prayers, they have access to weekly prayers, they have access to halal food, they have access to the, all of the requirements in Ramadan, they have access to education, they have access to fellowship, they have access to benefit. Mm -hmm. There's so many things that are for them in custody. Yep. 
It's when they come out and they're liberated and let out that it's falling down again. If mm -hmm. they've got a family that will back them up, yes, they're okay. But the ones who don't have a family, they're the ones that are really struggling. When they come out, they've got the, the that you know tag on them that they're an ex-offender. So already it's going to be so much harder. The community level is where we fall down. Uh, we, we need more of the Muslims involved in through care okay. so that from the community, we have individuals who are willing to give some time, mm -hmm. maybe one day a month, one day a week, and they come in and befriend one prisoner. Mm -hmm. And then the, the methodology of the Ansar, you take one of the Muhajir and you look after his one needs. This, mm -hmm. We don't need to have big courses where one person does everyone. But if mm -hmm. everyone said that, I'll give the time, I'll come into prison as a volunteer, I'll meet that one prisoner who, for whatever reasons, made bad choices, bad mistakes, committed that crime, but I'm going to befriend them in prison. And then when they're liberated, they can come to me and I will help bring them to the masjid, introduce them to good contacts, mm -hmm. better friends, better environments, better yep. opportunities. This is one of the real things we were, what we were lacking is the support from our communities, not the support from SPS, not the support from the prisons. It's from uh, the communities that they turn to when they come out. Our communities yeah, that allowed them to go into that mm -hmm. problem in the first place by not providing that. Many of the youth are in the position they're in because the masjids are detached from them. The imams yeah. are foreign. The imams do not understand the urf and the mm. local customs. Mm -hmm. They don't know Snapchat. They don't know the basic yeah. thing. Kids communicate through social media now. Mm -hmm. So if the imam isn't on social media, he's already mm -hmm. he's missing out the youth. He's not connecting with them. They, they need to be rethinking about what is it our, uh, our connection with our mm -hmm. youth is before they get into trouble. And for those who are, how do we support them as soon as they come out of that experience? Because that yeah. experience in prison can make or break them. Mm -hmm. Now, if they go in and they meet bigger gangsters who've got bigger reputations, they come out with a desire and a role model. Mm. We're lacking male role models for our male youth, mm -hmm. and those who are doing work for them uh, are so inundated and requests coming from so many of the communities, can you help run our youth work? Can you do that? So I deal myself, anyone involved in youth work, there's never a shortage of people asking, can you do this for us? Like, mm -hmm. well, we can't do it, all of it. We need more people in our communities to give more of their time. It's not about giving sadaqah and money. It's time that we need. People to time. get involved in training, get involved in getting yourself cleared, put onto some voluntary work. Mm -hmm. Get involved with Alcoholics Anonymous. If you don't like that crowd, get involved in uh, another group, uh, mm -hmm. Faith and Through Care. There are plenty of church groups that are not specific and do not want to teach Christianity. They want to support people. Yeah. Their love for humanity is the same love that we have for humanity. Absolutely. And we need to work together with these communities as well as our own. That was really thought-provoking. And you've made some really good points about supporting prisoners when they come out and the services that are available for them. But I just wanted to pick back up on that. If a lot of the crimes are white collar crimes or, you know, sort of there's an aspect of money there or fraud, then surely coming out of prison, you'd expect that someone would be able to be rehabilitated in terms of finding a job, for example, where they'll get that income. So what I'm, what I'm what my question is, are people open to hiring ex-offenders, especially Muslims? It's... As I said, 50% of the mm -hmm. Scottish prisoners who are Muslim are white Scottish. And I can tell you that's hard enough to get included in the Muslim communities, just the fact that you are of a different other. 
So to come out with a sentence, an ex-offender and being white Scottish or an ex-offender by itself and still being part of the community, it's, it's that uh, stigma that's attached to them. Mm -hmm. uh, we do have to be a lot more trusting and willing to support uh, offenders when they come out as ex-offenders. We always know that there's a chance they may repeat that crime. And this is why there is clearly a difference of uh, willingness to forgive a crime. If someone has committed a crime and it has involved theft, there's a good chance that they may say, I've made toba, I won't do it again, as best intention as they can. And we give them that chance. We even mm -hmm. trust them with a responsibility at some time. But if it's a sexual offence, if it's a crime involving children, people don't forgive those things. People say that person's never going to change. So we should carry the same message throughout, that if someone's committed a crime, you hate the crime, but you have to not hate that person. Yep. And because it's sexual offences or the, the, the homophobia within the Muslim community is so, uh, so strong. Uh, mm -hmm. This is one, just as you, you had mentioned earlier, uh, Deal was talking about the disjointed communities that we have. Uh, our mosques don't represent the communities that are in. Uh, each mosque is specific to a, a, an ethnicity. They're, sure. they're guided that way to open up as a Bengali welfare association rather than a masjid. Mm -hmm. So they, they have to name their, uh, their committee specific to the needs of an ethnicity rather than the masjid for the whole of humanity. Um, you, this way you, you, you get, uh, in the masjid, they cater for their people. Mm -hmm. The language for you know, 20 years now, the mosques are still struggling about getting away from speaking the language of the people who brought that yeah. to them. Uh, the mosques are still not bringing imams in and paying them enough to get the quality of imams that we need to work mm -hmm. with these youngsters. And in the prison, though, our services are the most inclusive of all services. The HMP. Uh, this is the mosque. I am imam of a congregation that has no segregation between Sunni and Shia. Mm -hmm. We have no segregation between any offense, whatever level of that offense, and of sexual preference and gender. The, obviously, the, some prisons do have male and female. They don't allow mixed congregation for worship. But within the male prisoner, if someone is an in prison, there's no shortage of people who are openly gay. Mm -hmm. We were told when we started chaplaincy, how do you feel about working with homosexuals? And most were spitting and holding their earlobes and toba, toba, toba. Mm -hmm. um, but they were told then, if you can't work with that member of community, then mm -hmm. you should stay in the mosque. Because yep. in the mosque, you'll not need to deal with these things. But in the prison, we deal with them. And mm -hmm. we address any of these issues, like homophobia. If someone comes into the congregation and feels not welcome, yeah. then that problem is with the people in that congregation, not with the person who's come Absolutely. We challenge these things. So the mosque is behind SPS with regards to its community. We have mm -hmm. provided a very inclusive and open and undisjointed. It's very jointed together. Um, the ethnicities we have in any of the prisons in mm -hmm. Scotland will be from those communities that Adil mentioned. You have Somali and Bengali, you have mm -hmm. uh, white and you have foreign, you have British and foreign national. It's all standing uh, in one soft behind the imam.
Well, it's very it's very eye opening to hear what's what you know the support systems and what goes on Within in prison itself. Well. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's it seems like there's it's been well thought of and well well mm. researched. I was actually reading something that there was something in place. I think it was last year with Central Mosque that they were teaming up with the the prisons. Yes, I don't know if you if, yeah, if yeah. something. What, yeah. I mean, do you know what this came up? This is to do that? with the through care. Ah, okay, we're, so we're still very much in uh, in favour of this. It always comes down. It's it. Everyone agrees in principle that this is great. It's getting people to come forward and give their time to yeah. do that. And I thoroughly, thoroughly, if I can ask anyone in this month of Ramadan to to give something in Sadaqah, is to give some time, please. Okay. Give some time and get involved in the masjids or in the community setting. But. Uh, get involved in these through care programs. Be the one who's willing to say, I will come in and get involved with these initiatives that the, the governor of Berlin, he is 100% behind central mm-hmm. mosques' desire to get involved and help the community. They know this is where the shortfall is themselves. I see. Inshallah, we'd like to see that come to fruition, that the imams are, are getting involved, that the masjids are being more open and accepting, and that people are giving their time to help well, within these services that are already fantastic, they're already doing a good job, and we're not reinventing the wheel, but we want to get Muslims in there. So I just wanted to pick up with you, Brother Adil, about drugs and substance abuse. It has been a prevalent problem amongst the youth. Was it also a problem, or have you dealt with this? In regards to uh, drugs, I mean, when you think 13, 14 years ago, um, uh, we'd lost... Uh, very close uh, friends, uh, two brothers um, who passed away eight months within uh, each other. Um, the younger one passed away first and the older one eight months later of heroin overdose. And um, it's again uh, coming forward. Um, it's not improving. Uh, things are getting, uh, I would say, worse. Um but I'm going to go focus on a story of somebody who does uh, drug dealing. I'm talking about what, what kind of mentioning about what Abdul Mateen was saying about you know opportunities and yourself mentioning kind of aftercare and through care. Um, there was a young person that I was working with about at least uh, was about three four years ago, and he was dealing drugs, and I would say he's one of the kind of one of the most smartest guys I've come across. This guy's at that age was probably easily in his late teens, coming up for his early twenties, and had known in Glasgow, uh, very well known, and um, the pop term is of the material I've heard known this term that he had things in lockdown. <laughs> um, uh, and I said, I sat him down, and he said to me, "Look, I want to become a police officer." So we took him through the whole process, took him to the, you know, the, the days that they have, the opportunities for uh, inviting them in and talking about joining the police force. And, uh, so we got the form filled out, everything, and um, didn't hear anything back. Again, you know, tried to pres- pursue what's going on, why they not got back. Eventually they got back to them saying, sorry, you weren't successful. Okay, what was the reason? It was over a full stop, some mm-hmm. punctuation, uh, grammar issue. Like obviously, I've, you know, he was very gutted. Mm-hmm. Now, this guy, if he had uh, changed paths, uh, would have 
like I said, if he had things locked down in Glasgow, he would have made a massive difference, huge difference. Mm-hmm. And I can't even, I'm not even exaggerating, I'm actually playing that down. Now, obviously, he was quite gutted and he was like, right, you know, well, see, it's not happening, what's the point? I said, listen, I said, you're a very clever guy. I said, you're good at maths. You're good at, um, uh, you know, organisation. You're a good organiser. You're a good communicator. Uh, you're good at dealing with your staff. You're a good manager. You're an entrepreneur in that sense. I said, but you just got the wrong product. Mm-hmm. All those skills are transferable. You've just got the wrong product. And because we live in this takeaway society, we want everything fast. We can't even wait in, uh, I don't want to mention it, the, the shops, but uh, we can't even wait for our food. You know, five minutes over or two minutes over. Right, where's the food? Where's the food? Come on, what's going on here, brother? Come on. Because we want things fast. Instantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as many cases that have come, like Abdul Team mentioned about the white collar issues where people were taking millions, mm. millions, and they've ruined people's lives. Some people have lost their lives because the, the, the person's taken money off them. Uh, businesses have collapsed because of these people and they don't see the consequences so I was trying to show him the consequences of what he's doing and said you just need to change the product I just, you don't need to change yourself you're a brilliant person you just got that wrong product yeah. it's changed that so we have to give them more opportunities I think the support system still can improve the, the mosques themselves, I mean, somebody comes to me, I'll just do, obviously, hijab, and there's a, a, a chap that came and he says, look, I have drinking problems. Mm-hmm. And he's open and honest. And he goes, tell me some, you know, some du'as I can read. <laughs> I said, um, come down, there's many du'as, you know, that you can do, and there's many things you can do. Um, I said, but one of the things I can say to you is you need to change your environment. And also, the issue that I have, I mean, one of the mentioned is I'm not, I don't have any training on alcohol, how to deal with somebody who's an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. I'm limited in my experience and what knowledge I have gained myself. And in the community, really, if anybody comes and goes to an imam, uh, maybe Abdul Mateen can comment, how many of them are trained on alcoholism or drugs? I would say near to that 0%. Mm-hmm. So these are things that I think as a community we need to start focusing on. Yep. Because if thir- going 13, 14 years back and you start brushing things under the carpet like the families did and certain people in this community did, you would lose lives. Mm-hmm. And those lives will affect other lives because a child came from the second one who passed away and then she's about 14 years old, never seen her father. So it affects and destroys lives beyond the grave. Yeah. Uh, and we are way behind and we need to catch up. And like the Scottish prison system, they're there as a support. And you've got many organisations that are willing to pass on this knowledge. And we, as the community, need to um, uh, you know, engage, obviously, and uh, then learn yeah. and take the opportunity. Uh, and then that's how you will grow mm-hmm. and uh, be able to uh, deal with a lot of the issues in our community which are still uh, yeah. kept to the sidelines and 
maybe a du'a might do something. Of course, du'as are very powerful, there's no mm -hmm. doubt about that. But along with that comes other things that you must do. I mean, that is the sunnah. It's to, you know, it's not, it's about being practical. Mm -hmm. Yep. But who do you go to then? You know, so when these, when, when these people come to you with this sort of an issue such as drinking or drugs, you know, who is it, who is it they turn to in, in a case like that? If it, you know, if it's not the mosque or, or someone at school, not at home, because there's, you know, there's a sort of stigma there as well, that'll get brushed under the rug. Then, you know, is there someone that they can, an open, safe space that they can talk about this, but someone that they can relate to as well? In regards to drugs and alcohol, very, very, I think Lady Ramadan had a, um, somebody on from one of the organisations that, um, I forgot the name, that it's, it's very few, very few organisations um, who deal with um, specifically drugs and alcohol within the Muslim community. If you're talking about out with that, this is like what Abdul Mateen's point is, that if we keep looking within, then you're not really going to find anywhere to go. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure it's increasing now, but and if you and if you and if everybody goes to one or two individuals or one organisation is too much, they can't realistically support that many people. Um, so this is where we need to go to other organisations that are not um, Muslim as such it's or Islamic. It's partnership. Yeah. yeah. Partnership with existing. Providers of yeah. care, we need to be willing to put ourselves forward and say, look, uh, we have anxieties of working with you guys, our community have anxieties, but let's sit down and work through them rather yeah. than not work with them and try and reinvent our own version of it, the Islamic version of hope, mm -hmm. the Islamic version of Alcoholic Anonymous, the Islamic, it just doesn't work that way. It's, it's Scottish society. I think there's there's a couple of mosques that come to mind, the team might know more. Um, uh, I remember... Um, uh, Alwa Mosque, um, the brothers there, they were the ones that one of the first to actually introduce us to going to the uh, visit the prisons. They've got a very a good connection with the youth. Uh, Dixon Avenue Mosque, another one, has got a good connection with the youth. And if you've got a connection with the youth, and the way to get that connection is you've got to the imam or the or the person who's 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 uh, leading that project or that part in the mosque has to understand that you can't, young people, would, if they think, young people think that everything halal is not fun and everything haram is fun, then, well, <laughs> you've got a big problem there. Uh, they're not going to come to you, you're not going to get that connection. Mm. So these mosques, and uh, I think there's one in, actually in Falkirk, they try to engage the youth mm -hmm. and uh, they make that, and the way to engage them, you've got to have that connection. You've got to have that understanding with them. And you've got to accept them, let them come in. And I've had seen a few of the mosques where the, where the young people will come in high or drunk. I mean, other places, are, uh, I'm not just saying mainstream mosques, but other establishments might turn on and say, you know, right, what's this person doing here and get them out? And they'll, mm -hmm. you know, get uptight and anxious. Whereas you've got to accept them, let them come in. Mm -hmm. And I say a large number of prisoners, when I speak to them, were thrown out their mosque for exactly these type of silly childhood pranks, mistakes, yep. coming in, laughing, joking, maybe having had smelling of tobacco, drink, whatever. The kids, the youngsters. So when they get told, that's it, get out, you have just closed the doors of Rahmah. You've closed the opportunity for him to benefit from that Muslim community mm -hmm. by making the decision that you're not worthy to be in my mosque. 
This is something that we have to be a lot I more mean, tolerant. The elders need to have a lot more compassion and mercy for the youth, and the youth have to show a lot more respect for the elders as it goes as a two-year-old. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that would be an example of... Um, sorry, Adila, I know you were yeah. going to say something. That would be an example of a situation where someone like that, you should sort of pull them in even more because you realise there's there's something there that you know that they can be taken away and from. Adil uh, mentioned the potential some of these youngsters have yeah. of leading others into bad, but if you convert that one, he becomes the one to bring so many onto the good. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it's, it's not seeing that, it's not looking for that in these youngsters and just closing the door on them. Yeah. It has led Absolutely. to gang mentality mm -hmm. and ghetto mentality. Mm. I think... We're allowed to mention the establishments that are doing good work, yeah? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, so <laughs> Al Mazan um, had, um, they're doing the, you know, the, the project for the green uh, project. Green, where green, green. To, uh, yeah, and, and talking about the environment, encouraging their congregation uh, to think about the environment and carbon footprint. And had um, uh, a non Muslim staff coming, obviously, a partnership with the, the, the government, and yeah. they got funding. And, and uh, when I seen this person coming in and, you know, working for al Mizana, the Muslim organization, I thought it was fantastic. Mm -hmm. And that's what Abdul Mateen kind of put right on the nail on the head is that you, we need partnerships with key uh, organizations and key, and key projects and key funding streams and then bring in people, um, whether they're Muslim or not, if they're genuinely interested and, 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 and have the expertise in, uh, in, in these issues, then why are mosques and uh, establishments similar to the mosque not got, um, you know, a youth department funded, you know, paid youth? Uh, volunteers are, are brilliant, yeah. but they come and go. You can't always rely on that. You know, uh, you have to have some element of it paid um, where you have the, the projects. So you have within the youth project then subdivisions as well to deal with, tackle these issues. And some of the mosques are trying to do that. But like I said, they're still, you know, a wee bit behind because they're worrying about, okay, where does this funding stream come from? Mm -hmm. And you've got many businessmen in the community who should be part of that funding stream. Uh, of course, I was, I'm involved in a lot of international aid, um, but part of, um, I'm sure one of the criteria in Zagat is obviously helping local people as well. It's not just about always yeah. international. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, Zagat could be, you know, helping somebody who is in debt. Um, and so... There are a lot of young people who uh, are in the very tough situations. Um, uh, in fact, there was a young couple just got married recently, Masha, and they, you know, uh, uh, weren't able to afford, but they kept it very simple. And certain people were flexible with them, let's just say, mm -hmm. with, the, with the the finances, so that we can make the halal easy. Yep. We can make it fun. We can make it doable. But if you don't, then anything else becomes easy. Everything else becomes easy and yeah. everything else becomes fun. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's where we're bringing up barriers and difficulties for ourselves. Yep, absolutely. Um, and I know we've discussed this. This is sort of intertwined throughout the show, but um, just so that we can sort of, you know, towards the end of the show now, we can think of some, some practical solutions for the community. Um, you know, if you guys can summarise what the ideal situation would be in, you know, in terms of prevention, uh, you know, supporting and accepting Muslims of criminal offences and rehabilitation. 
from a, even an individual and societal level, what are the practical steps that you think that we should definitely be starting to do? I mean, I know Abdulmadeen, you mentioned, you, you guys both mentioned lots throughout the show, but I mean, if we could get a, a summary of what you think the solution looks like. Inclusion and not exclusion. We need to mainstream. We need to put our Muslim communities in the greater society. We have been selected as the best ummah because we have benefit to mankind. We're not just for our own people, our own tribe. Anyone who bases their effort on the effort on commit on, on nationality, they will be deprived because Rasulullah was sent for the ummah. So we have to base it on ummati. So we need to not just be taking the Muslim youngsters out. Last year I was on the radio show in a bit of a, a battle against the, the there's a, a small minority voice saying that we need to have Muslim scouts. In mm -hmm. the same way that I don't do Muslim chaplaincy, I don't do Muslim dentistry, I also don't do Muslim scouts. I do scouts and I do dentistry and I do chaplaincy. And I do for all people, of all mm -hmm. faiths and of none. And when you start getting within our bigger community, the non-Muslims sending their children to us to take out, to learn these values and these characters that we have learned from the Prophet and from the companions, then we're beginning to head the right direction. But as long as we keep on taking grants to work within our ethnic minority groups and forgetting that 50% of SPS, so we're talking about Muslim prisoners, 50% are not ethnic groups, they're white Scottish. We need to start mainstreaming and we need to introduce Islam to these organizations by our going to them, not waiting for them to come to us. So we need to mainstream, we need to break this ghetto mentality Mm -hmm. I think, I hope that we get a, a little bit, I'm going to pass on to Dio, because the, the final part we talk on to about the difference between England and Scotland. Uh. <laughs> I, I don't know what else you want me to add on to that, <laughs> Domatine. Uh, you, you, you were agreeing a bit about this mainstreaming. We, we do need to get out of just doing things for yeah. our own community. We need to be doing things with part of the bigger organization. Yeah. They're already there. We need to be involved in it. We need to be sending ourselves in and stop having this fear of the other. Yeah. It's this fear of letting our youngsters go out with non-Muslims because what will they, where will they take them? Mm. I know the experience. I, I know an imam in, uh, I'll not say which mosque, but his, uh, his children, when they go out with other Muslims, because their father's the imam, they're always mm -hmm. saying, have a wee drink. No, go on. No, go on. Your dad's not here. Go on. Whereas my son, if he goes out with his mm -hmm. school friends, they're not Muslim, they say, go have a drink. He goes, no. Okay. Yeah. That's it. There's no more pressure for him to disobey and to commit disobedience. Mm -hmm. So in fact, having non-Muslim friends doesn't mean naturally they will be taken to disobedience. Sometimes Absolutely. by keeping them away from the others, they have this need to rebel, this need to be a bad boy, this need to get an asbo or a small sentence. And they do these crimes to become bad boys. They want, they listen to the music. They want to be gangsters. They, they want to grow up in a ghetto. They mm -hmm. think they're in South Central LA. They're not gangsters. <laughs> they do not drive by in the dad's BMW. Come on, it doesn't <laughs> really work. Well, Adil, um, maybe you can comment on, what, for example, what parents can do. You know, you're, you're seeing that your children are maybe getting involved in something, you know, and you, yeah. you don't like it. And I, d I don't know how, I mean, I'm not sure. I don't have any brothers myself, so I don't know young boys. Do they talk to their parents brothers about their issues? And, or and even sisters, uh, girls are not, um, you know, uh, exempt from this. Definitely not. But that's increasing a lot the yeah. within the female population as a whole in general, as a matter of what background they come from, what ethnic or religion. Um, for parents... Uh, for the parents that have got um, 
you know, businesses uh, that have got children, um, they need to um, give them. I was actually talking to one of the, the businessmen who's now much, very successful, and he said to me, My mother and father had were successful and um, they could have bought my, uh, uh, my establishment and paid for everything. He goes, I started off being a dishwasher. Uh, I started off, uh, and he came and he was talk, doing this talk to a group of young people in the West End. Uh, I particularly brought him in for this reason. And he said that I started off as a dishwasher. I had money, no problem for my parents, but I didn't want any of that. And they said, no, you've got to learn the realities. Um, you've got to try and make something for yourself and understand it's a, it's a process. Nothing's fast. Nothing's going to be in your pocket as a given. So he learned that and he was trying to get across to these young people that if you want to come and work for me or work for any organisation, there is a process and there is effort that has to be put in. Sure. Then you've got the parents that um, are not uh, in business, maybe might not be well off. Mm -hmm. uh, again, they would be speaking to their children and you know, going through, I get, spending time with them. Both will be spending time and re reiterating the point of the reality and going out there and thinking about nothing comes fast. Nothing will come fast because this is why the white-collar crimes are increasing because everybody wants things fast and it's expectations. The other thing I would, I would also encourage parents is that the they should um in the most politest way in the most con least controversial way um uh, be asking and requesting uh the establishments that are out there that are already organized we don't need to create another organization we don't need to create another mosque we've got enough out there and like abdul mateen said supporting these organizations and saying look we are here how can we improve and how can we add in these services and how can we yeah. increase the skills within the community? Because these people are there uh, and there's no point in re reinventing the wheel. Mm. So this is probably exactly what everybody think Abu Martin said, but uh, for parents, this is what I would advise and suggest uh, because they are your children. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the, the children in your community that don't live within your household or not part of your faith, they are still also your responsibility. They will affect you regardless you cannot avoid it. You're mm -hmm. in this country, you're part of it, and you're going to have to uh, be involved. Yep. Wow. Um, okay, so should we move on to talking about the uh, the other statistics? So obviously, as we've seen earlier, that you can't always rely on statistics, but um, if we look at England and Wales, um, over there Muslims represent, they make up 4.8% of the population in England and Wales but 14.4% of the prison population. I mean, does it shed some, does, does that shed some positive light in Scotland, the situation in Scotland? Um, can you maybe comment on what's being done better uh, that's making this difference? The, the, the skeptic uh, is always saying, oh, that's uh, because of racial discrimination, that the police arrest the Muslims more. And mm -hmm. uh, the fact is that 14.4% uh, of the uh, population in the prison are Muslims in England and Wales because they're doing these crimes. That's it. Mm -hmm. They're getting caught because they're doing these crimes. Unfortunately, the way 
Muslims in prison are handled in England is very different. The way that the chaplains have been brought in to cater for their needs is very different. In Scotland Prison Service, the chaplains were, uh, the post was advertised, the applications were brought in, they were sifted, and then they were selected by HR to do the job that SPS needs them to do. So we are chaplains to the SPS, not for Muslim prisoners. We are for all prisoners and for all staff as well. So we have in Scotland a big, big advantage over England than anyone who comes to Britain on holiday for the first time and stays in England, stays in London, stays mm -hmm. in Birmingham, Manchester, and then comes to Glasgow. They say there's something different. They, when they come to Scotland, our community is different. We are much better integrated. We are already beginning to mainstream. We are already seeing within uh, politics, within uh, all professions, within medicine, within teaching, that Muslims are up there now getting these top posts and showing that we can do that. So we're not creating these ghettos. In England and Wales, there's a, there's a terrible ghettoization. Uh, and this is creating troubles within the prisons because you then have ghettos and gangs. In fact, they were talking about opening up a Muslim prison or Muslim wings. Uh, SPS is not wanting to entertain that at all. We deal with every prisoner as a prisoner who has committed a crime and who has been tried and found guilty of that crime. We don't house them according to ethnicities or faiths, but we fulfill the rights of all prisoners of faith and none. And this is something that Scotland is way ahead of England. So alhamdulillah, that's a positive note to end on. That's us out of time. Jazakallah khair, both of you, for your valuable insights. If anyone wants to volunteer, like Abdul Mateen was mentioning, get in touch with Radio Ramadan and tune in tomorrow to Skina Society at 8pm. Assalamu alaikum. For more information and to listen to more podcasts, visit us at arc.score or check out the Arc Media app.